Uh, turn to Exodus 20, uh, beginning at verse 8, continuing this uh, study of the Ten Commandments. This will be the 22nd message. We're at the Fourth Commandment, making very slow progress uh, through the Ten Commandments. Verse 8, we read, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, is there to be an established time for the people of God to gather for worship? Is there be a, to be a regular stated day? Or are we going to gather just when we feel like doing it? In other words, is there to be a disciplined approach in terms of worship driven not by our mood, but by the calendar and the clock. Well, we're concluding with the fourth commandment, the first table of the law, which has established in the first commandment who it is to be worshiped, that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Second commandment, what form that worship is to take, that is not with images, and the broader principle being as authorized, as commanded by God. Third, how, in the sense of what is to be the motive, the attitude, and the reverence with which uh, God is to be worshipped. So the second commandment has to do with the exteriors, the third commandment with the interiors of worship. And then the fourth commandment is when. So we've gone from who to what to how to when. And as we do, we complete the first table and uh, establish the broader principle that God is to be the Lord of our time. We need to recognize up front that this is the most widely ignored and uh, pervasively misunderstood of all the commandments. Uh, there are conservative, evangelical, even Presbyterian scholars today who uh, will agree that we should gather on Sunday, but would disagree that it should be understood as a Sabbath. Uh, church historians will point out that Calvin did not take the stricter view of the Puritans uh, those who are being examined for ordination will often say that they are uh, taking the continental view. And if you will look at the, which by the way he was old said was the continental Catholic view, uh, but if you look at the minutes, I don't recommend it, but if you were to survey the minutes of our presbytery meetings throughout the whole PCA, uh, you would find that the number one exception to the teaching of the catechisms and the confession of faith has to do with the fourth commandment, where they do not agree. In one lifetime, that would be my lifetime, we have gone from uh, Sunday understood as the Christian Sabbath almost unanimously throughout the entire nation uh, to where the situation stands today where rarely do even evangelical Bible-believing Christians understand uh, the normativity of the fourth commandment. Uh, I think it's a tragic development. I think the implication of the fourth commandment is that we need a whole day devoted to the things of God. Uh, from our perspective, it need not be. 
Uh, I think from our perspective, why, why can't we just dedicate uh, an hour a day alone in our prayer closets? Why is that not enough? Why not seven days of that? Why was that not established as, as what the, the people of God would do? And why not just another hour on the first day of the week or in the Old Testament times on the, se- in the seventh day of the week? Why would that not be enough? Why is it that we must gather together publicly in worship and devote the whole day to the things of God? What's the implication of that? I say the implication is we need it. If we're to thrive spiritually, we need a whole day devoted to the things of God. We've got six days where we're just out there in the world doing everything that has to be done, fighting against the whole trends in the world, trying to live faithfully. What do we need to be refreshed and strengthened and encouraged in our Christian walk? Well, the implication of a Sabbath day is we need a day, a whole day given to the things of God. If we are uh, to be refreshed and strengthened and, and ready to go and serve God, Uh, throughout the rest of the week. It's also disturbing, given this uh, trend away from Sabbath observance, because to me it seems to be so arbitrary. Uh, The fourth commandment is given at the same time, in the same place. It's delivered to the same man, Moses, as the other nine commandments. We've got one through ten. And it seems arbitrary to me to reach down into the middle of the ten and pluck out the fourth commandment and say, well, of course, the other nine, they're normative, but not this one. This one is the exception. All ten of the commandments were written by the finger of God on stone tablets. Unlike any other part of the whole Bible, only the ten commandments were written by the finger of God. Only the ten commandments were written uh, uh, by... Uh, by the finger of God on on tablets of stone, representing, one, the importance. That's what would be the the, the message of the finger of God writing it, and then the permanence on tablets of stone. Uh, The rest could be written on papyrus or paper, but not these. They they go on stone, and it is one of the ten. So it just seems to me uh, a matter of uh, modern convenience, or some other vague principle that allows us to think that uh, the other commandments, the other nine commandments remain in in effect. No, we're not to murder people. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to steal. We're not to lie. We're to honor our parents. We're not to have other gods. We're not to take his name in vain. We're not to bow down to idols. In other words, all the other nine to apply, and this one doesn't. Help me here. Does that not just seem a little arbitrary to you? that we're going to be selective in that way in light of the presentation of the ten by God himself to Moses. Uh, The classic authors, very interesting to me, warn us that the abandonment of the Sabbath has often proven to be the first step toward apostasy. Uh, They they were arguing for causation, if I can return to correlation causation argument for a moment. I don't know that you can, you can establish causation, but I do think there's a correlation, uh, even in, in, in the recent past, by which I mean it's interesting that the sexual revolution really takes off from the mid-60s into the 1970s. And it's exactly the same period of time when the Sabbath breaks down in America 
where the, the understanding of Sunday as a Christian Sabbath and widely observed with shops closed and people not working, that that breaks down at the same time. Now, is there causation? Did the abandonment of the Sabbath contribute to the sexual revolution or the sexual revolution contribute to the breakdown of the Sabbath? I don't know in terms of causation, but there is a correlation. The de-Christianizing of America, that, those two things are happening simultaneously. I trace it all back to two things in Southern California where I grew up. One was the opening of the malls. All the other stores were closed. Then they opened the malls and it was required that of all the stores in the malls that they remain open. And so when they remained open, all the other department stores and all the other retail outlets opened as well. And then the other thing was the popularity of, uh, of uh, pro football. All right. when, I, when I was 10 years old, I was a part of the punt, pass, and kick competition at the Coliseum in Los Angeles on a Sunday. Amazingly enough, my parents let me participate in that. I thought it was a little weird, actually. We were driving to the Coliseum. We were listening to Billy Graham on the radio, so in my little 10-year-old mind, well, maybe that's a good substitute for it. But what I remember about it was L.A. Rams, 1965, the stadium was half empty. Pro football had not yet hit its stride. It did in the next couple of years. And that momentum of Sunday sports um, became overwhelming and contributed, as I see it, to the complete breakdown of Sunday Sabbath observance in, in our civilization. So are we talking about correlation and causation? Not exactly sure which it is, but I do believe that the restoring of the Christian Sabbath is one of the great spiritual needs of our day. So let's look at what it says. Looking together at verse 8, uh, it says, remember, uh, remember the Sabbath. Remember meaning don't just recall as in, oh, I forgot about it. Oh, yes, uh, today is Sunday. No, no. It has to do with commemorate, observe with uh, religious services. It's a commemoration of the Sabbath. The root meaning of Sabbath is to cease, uh, desist, rest. Keep it, that is, guard it from desecration, holy, that is, set apart, uh, separated for sacred use. Day, uh, what do we understand by a day? Well, the same thing we understand by the six days that you work. A day is a day. So the six days you work, those are 24-hour period of time. So what is the Sabbath day? It's another 24-hour period of time. I don't think there's any mystery about this. It's a day. It's a whole day. And whether you're calculating it from sundown to sundown or midnight to midnight, it is a 24-hour period of time that is to be set apart, hallowed, dedicated to sacred use uh, while one's work is, is set aside. So that's basically what it says. Moving along, what does it require? Well, it, uh, there's a religious requirement. It's to be kept holy. It is the day of the holy convocation in Israel. It's the day in which praises were offered and prayers were, were uttered and scripture was read and sermons expounded the word. There were double the sacrifices on the Sabbath and it was on the Sabbath that the holy days fell. So we find Jesus, Luke 4, 16, going to the synagogue on the Sabbath, Luke tells us, as was his custom. He, he honored the Sabbath law by participating in the hallowing of the day, the, the, the sacred nature of the day, by attending religious services. All right, th then there is the rest requirement. 
Uh, two words are used for work. Looking again at verse 9, six days shall you labor. That's the word for ordinary business, uh, your vocation, your commercial transactions, and do all your work. That's a uh, second word is a, the more comprehensive the, of the two. It would in, encompass all common activity over against sacred activity. So anything that is common, it's not, un, it's not sinful. It's uh, it's just ordinary. It's just not religious. It's not of a sacred nature. And then in the Old Testament, there are multiple examples of activities that were prohibited in the Old Testament. If you want to review those, you'll have to wait for the pamphlet to come out. And all of them will be in there, I assure you. All right, verse 10. Looking together at verse 10, it applies widely. Seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. So it's, it's, uh, the Sabbath legislation is to be enforced by heads of households, children, servants. What's this about livestock? Well, livestock can't be managed without people managing them. So the point about the livestock not working is the men who are responsible for the care of the livestock aren't uh, to be required to work. Uh, the sojourner, those are foreigners, and all those who were within the gates. So it's to be village-wise, town-wise, city-wide. Exodus 3.15 is to be a Sabbath of complete rest. So there's a religious requirement, there's the rest requirement. All right, then thirdly, what are the reasons for the requirements? So we're looking at what it says. We've looked at the religious requirements, the rest requirements, and now the reasons for the requirements, of which I have five for our consideration. I'll, I'll, I'll use A, Bs, and Cs for these so as to be less confusing. A, the divine possession of the land which is to be honored. Looking again at verse 10. This is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, or in the New American Standard, of the Lord your God. In other words, it has the possessive sense. It is the Lord's day. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Now, this is, um, this is emphatic in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verse 13, where Isaiah is urging the rest restoration of Sabbath observance. And so he says, Isaiah 58, 13, if because of the Sabbath you restrain your foot from doing as you wish on my holy day. Whose day is it? Well, I think a lot of people think of Sunday as, well, that's our family day, or that's our recreation day, or that's my golf day, or that, that's, uh, that's my tennis day, or that's my paddle ball day. No, no, it's God's day. It's the Lord's day. It's my holy day. And so he goes on and call the Sabbath a pleasure, not a drudgery, a pleasure, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it by, and here's the point, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. So the contrast there between my holy day and your ways and your pleasures and your words, in other words, it's not, it's not your day. You have six days to get ever done what you want to get done. This day is the Lord's day, and it is to be observed in the, in the, in the manner and in the fashion in which he determines and which he commands. So divine possession of the day which is to be honored. 
he makes a particular claim upon this day. Okay, B, divine pattern of behavior, which is to be imitated. For in six days, key word there, verse 11, for in six days. Uh, and why, are all, why, is all, why, why is all this said in verses 8, 9, and 10? about six days of labor and your work and the seventh is a Sabbath and you're not to do any work or your sons and your daughters and your male servant and so forth and so on, even your livestock and the sojourner. Why? Because, for, that's a purpose statement. Because of this pattern, this divine pattern, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and you are to be imitators of God. He made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. So that is the divine pattern of behavior, and we are to be imitators of God as his beloved children. And what, uh, what's being cited here is a previous command, going back to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, which establishes that the Sabbath was, the foundation of the Sabbath is in creation. It is a creation ordinance. More about that in a moment. But if you go back to Genesis 2, Verses 2 and 3, the seventh, on the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then he, God blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it. Okay, all this is just rich with meaning. He's the blessing of the day, the sanctifying of the day, the setting it apart, the hallowing of the day. Because on it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So he rested on the seventh day. He had established by doing so a pattern for us. It wasn't that God was tired. He wasn't exhausted. He's infinite. He doesn't ever tire. He did that as a pattern for us to imitate. So it has universal application. It's pre-Mosaic. It's pre-ceremonial law. It's for all of humanity. Jesus in, in Mark 2.27 says the Sabbath was made for anthropos, for humanity. Now, this rest, we want to say as well, is not the rest of inactivity. So Jesus says in John 5.17, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. So it's, uh, in, in God's case, it's the, it's the cessation of the labor of creation, and now taking up the, the work of providence and redemption. So he sets aside one labor and takes up another. Likewise, we set aside the labor of the six days of the week to take up the work of worship. So it's not a, a rest of inactivity. As the Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechisms, all call it a day of holy rest uh, devoted to the things of God. So C, so it's the divine possession of the day to be honored, the divine pattern of behavior which is to be imitated, C, the divine promise of reward which is to be believed. So at the end of verse 11, so he blessed the Sabbath day. Again, citing Genesis 2-3. And he made it holy, also citing Genesis 2-3. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man. This time emphasizing, emphasizing the for, for our benefit, for our good. There is this promise of reward. What God blesses will be blessed. So he blesses the day, implication being that we are blessed in the keeping of the day. That's the point. It's not like the day is some kind of an abstract thing that receives some kind of an abstract blessing. 
a blessed day in that those who observe the Sabbath are blessed by the observing of it. Uh, go, let's go back to Isaiah 58 again, verse, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. Uh, there's a connection between an if and a then. And so if you restrain your foot on my holy day and you desist from your own ways and your own pleasure and your own word, then what? You will take delight in the Lord. Your heart relationship with God will begin to warm. You will develop a passion for God and the things of God. And he promises, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's the promise of blessing that is received through the keeping of the Sabbath. D, divine provision of redemptive rest, which is to be commemorated and enjoyed. So for this, we have to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 17. Deuteronomos, second law, second giving of the law. Moses at the edge of the Jordan River, bringing the Ten Commandments to the people of God, almost word for word, what he delivered at Sinai, but with slight variations. Here's one of the variations. So Deuteronomy 5 follows Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10, the text that is before you. Uh, it, it follows it in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 14. But then it departs from what's at verse 11, and, and rather than saying in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and so forth, instead it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What's, the, again, the purpose? You have a purpose statement here, therefore. What do you mean, therefore? Well, you shall remember that you were a slave, therefore you shall keep the Sabbath. Because what are you to do there? You're to be commemorating the fact that you were a slave. In other words, you're to commemorate redemption, salvation. This is a day when you not only recall the works of God in creation, and by extension providence, but you recall God's works in redemption, and you rejoice in those. Uh, you remember them, and you delight in them. You were a slave. God brought you out, it says in Deuteronomy 5. Therefore, you will keep the Sabbath day. Uh, Exodus uh, 31, uh, verses 15 through 17, uh, speaks of, of the Sabbath as a sign of the covenant, a sign of the covenant with God, this covenant of salvation, this co covenant of redemption. Israel was entering into a land of, uh, of rest, a kind of a, a typological rest that speaks of a greater rest, as we'll see here in a moment. So you shall remember what? Well, creation in Exodus, redemption in, in Deuteronomy. Exodus 31.15 refers to it as a solemn rest, holy to the Lord. A sign of our salvation. And then E, so shall I go over them once again? I will. Divine possession of a land to be honored, divine pattern of behavior to be imitated, divine pr promise of reward to be believed, 
divine provision of redemptive rest to be remembered and enjoyed, and then E, divine guarantee of the ultimate consummatory rest, which is to be anticipated. Uh, so for this, I will go to, to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, reading at verses 10 and 11, For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Uh, Canaan represents rest. Uh, Rest from their bondage and slavery in Egypt. Rest from conflict with enemies. And it points beyond that to a larger redemptive rest. So God says he loathed that generation. Psalm 95.10. What generation? The Exodus generation. They all died in the wilderness. And so they didn't enter into the typological rest that uh, Canaan represents. But I think the key here is to go up a couple of verses earlier where the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice. So David is writing this psalm. David is saying to his contemporaries, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When would they hear his voice? Well, when the church gathers uh, under the ministry of the word, as the word is being read, preached, sung, prayed, and uh, made visible in in the Passover observance. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, lest you, the implication is, lest you be loath like that generation who did not enter into his rest. Uh, So the implication of that is those who were already in Canaan, in the promised land, in the land of rest, are being warned that as they gather under the ministry of the word, they need to listen and not harden their hearts lest they not enter into their rest. Well, they're already in their rest. They're in Canaan. No, they're not. There's a rest beyond that to which it was pointing. The ultimate rest, the heavenly rest, of which the rest in Canaan was just uh, a foreshadowing, a foretaste, a type of the ultimate final rest that we enjoy in heaven. So the Sabbath observance, the time when the people of God are gathering under the ministry of the word and they're hearing The word, they are being reminded then of the ultimate rest into which they are to enter one day in Christ, of which their their gathering is a foreshadowing and a foretaste thereof and their possession of salvation likewise. So both creation and redemption, and including the providence of God, are all Uh, foreshadowing the final Sabbath rest to which we all look. So here I want to close with this question. In the New Testament, in the New Testament period, now I got the whole next time I'm going to look at how the New Testament interacts with these five principles. Are, Are we still to honor the divine possession of a day? John said he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Seems to be there's a day set apart in the New Testament. Um, are we to imitate the divine pattern of action, working six days, resting one? 
Are we to believe the divine promise of reward? He blessed the Sabbath day. Are we still to believe that? Are we still to commemorate the divine provision of redemption rest that is ours in Christ? And are we to anticipate the divine guarantee of our final rest? So my argument is going to be yes to all of the above. Everything upon which the Old Testament Sabbath is based continues into the New Testament, only better, only more richly. As Jesus says, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. And our Sunday gatherings for worship and our laying aside of our labor is a foretaste, a foreshadowing of heaven itself, the heavenly rest. As we are refreshed and find rest in the ministry of the word among the people of God, under the word of God, in the presence of Christ uh, with his people. And so the, the Sabbath command remains uh, not just relevant, but essential for us uh, still today. And if you're doubting, I'm, I'm, next time it'll be a month or so, come back, and, and we'll look at what the New Testament has to say about these things and why this in, it continues to be an, an essential um, characteristic of the life of the people of God. This, this, uh, this disciplined approach to time that God requires of his people, that they continue and complete their work in six days, and they devote an, an entire day to the things of God. He requires of this not, be, not, not because he likes laying down arbitrary commands, but because this is essential if we are to spiritually flourish, if we are to grow in depth, if we are to de grow in, in, in character. Uh, this, is, this is part of the redemptive plan uh, this, this is what's uh, that's on the calendar on a weekly basis. This, this is what God has given to us and promised to bless uh, if we will set aside a day uh, devoted to the things of God. Uh, he is promising uh, that he will bless his people. And I believe that blessing is individual. I believe it's a blessing for families. And I believe it's a blessing for whole congregations. And I think you can even extend that out. It's a blessing for nations. Our country was a better place when there was a Sunday Sabbath. As we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray, O oh Lord, that, uh, that we pray for our own convictions to grow in connection with the fourth commandment. Uh, we pray that, uh, that you would uh, solidify those convictions and that we would begin to carry them out and practice uh, fully the, uh, the command itself and all that the, 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 the command implies and requires. Show us what you would have us do in our own families. Show us what you would have us do in our own individual lives. Uh, show us what you would have us do in connection with recreation and labor. Uh, so that we would not uh, neglect this essential plank in the program of redemption uh, for the people of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.